Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this edition of The Sheila Zielinski Show. I am getting a lot of new listeners, so some of the guests I have on might be new to you, and you're in for a real treat because it is Pastor David Langford from The Voice of Evangelism on a very powerful show. And we're going to talk about an event that you need to be at in April. You need to figure out a way to get out to this because it is going to be powerful. I have a little update at the end of the program about SWAT prayer because we're looking at SWAT prayer launching this Friday. And stay tuned because at the end of the program, I'm going to go through a couple things that you need to hear. This is very, very exciting what God is going to do through these powerful spiritual warfare teams across the West, both in the United States and in Canada. And for anyone listening out in the Maritimes, whether it's Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, anyone that's listening out there in the Maritimes, we definitely need some representation from Eastern Canada. Other than that, we have every state in the United States and every province filled, but I still need to hear from some of those maritime provinces. Really excited what God's going to do, so stay tuned at the end of the program for an incredible update on SWAT prayer, and you can uh, bookmark the website as well, SWATprayer.com. That's S-W-A-T prayer.com. Well, I want to jump right into the program. It is the renowned pastor, David Langford, that joins us today from The Voice of Evangelism. I've got his website link below. It is thevoiceofevangelism.com. Pastor Langford, there is a lot going on today, and there's certainly a lot going on in the church. I was in some churches recently, and I got to tell you, I thought, boy, they used to say Elvis has left the building. Well, Pastor, regrettably, the Holy Ghost is, is leaving the church buildings. We've got a lot to get into today. I want to welcome you to the program, sir. It's always a pleasure to have you on, sir. Welcome back. Sheila, it's wonderful. Always a joy, too, for me to be here with you and your listeners to share from the unsearchable riches of Christ. We cannot never exhaust, nor aggregate, nor collect, or bring together the enormity and the power that is in God's Word. It's not a past, future, present. It's always right now in in the sense of his word. It's a noun word. This is why we're in the condition that we're in. As you said, Elvis has left the building. The Spirit of God has left the building. Jesus said, you can only worship me in spirit and in truth in John 4, 22. And so it takes both the Holy Spirit and truth. And of course, the Word of God is the personification of truth. And of course, without either one, you're not truly worshiping God because it must be in spirit and it must be in the truth. So some people have spirit, no truth. Some people have truth and no spirit. But if we take literally, and I believe we should, what Jesus said there in John 4, then you cannot worship the Father. You cannot worship God except it be in both spirit and in truth. And that's who the Father seeketh such, John four twenty three. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Just as much as we're pursuing God, God is pursuing us. He seeketh such. In other words, whether it's on Sunday or Sabbath or whatever day people go to the house of God to worship, he's looking. He's looking entirely across the world for those who are truly seeking him with clean hands, a pure heart, who are full of the Spirit of God and who are full of the truth of God, and he reciprocates by seeking those that seek to worship him. And of course, the next verse, John four twenty four, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So if people would get back to those two fundamentals, they would, would see a manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives and in our church services as well. 
You know, Pastor Langford, you said on a show years ago, and I thought this was so profound because it did prophetically come to pass. You went on a fast and you got the word. You broke this on my show. You said the Lord gave you the word acceleration. I could have not imagined what you were talking about. But boy, sir, you were right. Because look at look at the acceleration of vileness the ubiquitous, murderous, ravaging spirit. I mean, the CPS will swoop in and get your kids if you spank them, but you're allowed to kill them even after birth. The murdering of babies and no one bats an eye. They they stood up and, and cheered in New York. It, it's so horrific. The defilement, the vileness, the evil that is permeating our land through these minions, these liberal hirelings that say things like Bette Midler said, oh, we're going to have to buy stock. She tweeted this out. We're going to have to now buy stock in coat hangers. You know, if there was a Richter scale that, that had the magnitude for insanity, I think they used to say the largest shocks have magnitudes in the 8.8 to 8.9 range. If there was a Richter scale for insanity, it would be in the 20s. It is so far off the scale. I don't think any of us knew at that time when you said that just how things would accelerate. Well, it just shows you how deep and how obsessed these people are with death. Um, I was in prayer Sunday. And as I was in prayer, the Lord brought a scripture back to my memorization. The Lord knows my heart. I've probably not used this verse in 25 or 30 years, but Obadiah 1 and 15 says, As thou hast done, thy reward shall return upon thine own head. Mm. In other words, you want blood? Is that really what you want? If you want blood, I'm going to give you blood. But the problem is, it's going to be their blood, like Pelosi, like Cuomo, the people who are desirous to shed the blood. They're going to have to give their blood in return because they're going to reap what they have sown. Now, they don't believe that. You know, Cuomo said he was an altar boy. I just wonder whose altar he's been at, God's or the devil's. I would say, without a doubt, he's been living and worshiping and serving at the altar of Satan. But like you well said, you can't discipline a child. He said you can murder the child, and of course the child has had no opportunity to do bad or good, yet a a illegal immigrant can come across the border, murder someone, they put him in prison, they house him, they clothe him, they feed him medical care, he can get a doctorate degree while he's in, incarcerated, a workout gym, internet, the whole shooting caboodle, and take care of him, but yet let a baby be born, as I said, who's done neither evil nor good, uh, which that is the personification of innocence, a, a child, and they'll murder that child, and they'll say, that's just, that's just, that's fair. But I've said in the last few days, God is not going to sit idly by and endure this kind of bloodletting. There's coming judgment. That that word the Lord gave me was in 2012, acceleration. Since that point in time, same-sex marriage, LBGTQ, the acronym gets longer and longer by the day. You can't keep up with it. You know, people that are having children, I think it was Kate Hudson, uh, she's going to try to raise this new baby she's got genderless. You can't do that, ma'am. It's got a gender. It's either male or female. But that's the asininity. That's the stupidity. That is the deception. That is the delusion uh, that has come upon people. And so because they did not choose the way of the Lord, God is going to give them what they really don't want, but yet they express in deeds and actions, that's what they do want. But, you know, when judgment comes, nobody wants what they get. They'll always say, well, that was not fair, that was unjust. Isaiah 65 and 4 says, I also will choose their delusions or devices and will bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear. But they did evil 
before mine eyes and chose that in which I delighted not. In other words, they choose and they oppose the exact opposite of what God has planned and God has willed. And so when you take that there in Isaiah 65, verse 4, and you couple that with Second Thessalonians 2, Paul went through this litany of sins, and then he concludes there in Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 11, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so they're, on all end, they're going to be deceived, but they're going to be delusional because they did not choose the truth. God said, I'm going to send them strong delusion that they should. They, they are now predestined to believe a lie and to be damned. I was thinking about this verse the other day because people want to talk about Christ is love and Christ is grace and Christ is long-suffering and he's merciful and on and on and on and on. But you'll never hear your mega church pastors preach all of the words of Christ. They pick and choose the very words they want. But for instance, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I didn't say that. No apostle said that. Jesus said that. Good. Fear him, Christ Jesus, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And so this greasy, sloppy grace that's being preached is, is so heretical because if you look at the words of Christ and you preach all the red words in the Bible, they're pretty harsh at times. And it's to those who are religious and are not really committed to Christ. Mm, well said, well said. Well, you know, something you said years ago on one of my shows, speaking of, I always find it just amazing some of the things you say. And in the last days, people will go ravening mad. The spirit yeah. of insanity, I mean, it has taken right over. Explain that for us, Pastor, because, oh boy, I mean, I think we're there now. And is this right now where God re is releasing the strong delusion, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Here's the thing, and people need to understand this. You don't stay in neutral. You either go backwards or you go forward. That phrase that I alluded to was Daniel 12, and verse 4, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Now, most pre-tribulationist rapture ideologists will say that's literal knowledge, knowing, coming to a certain place. But I was reading uh, some years ago the companion Bible, E.W. Bullinger, and he was reading from the Masoretic text, and it says that when it says they would run to and fro, meaning to swerve, to turn aside, or to apostatize. And that's what they're doing. Our early forefathers didn't have all the manuscripts and able to look at some of the things that were said. So when they printed the King James, you'll see love would have been a better word than charity, some things like that. So this is what he said they would do. And so if you look at that in that context under the Masoretic text, and they're, they're, you know, we've got the Greek Septuagint, the Latin Vulgate, all of these are, are scripture texts that have been translated from Greek or Hebrew to Latin, then to English, etc., 
This is where the, there's a variation in the translation. Now, that part has gone overboard. They've got all these new versions of the Bible. I try to stay with the King James. I've looked at other versions. I've committed a few verses to other versions. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. One of the versions says, God hath not given us the spirit of timidity. You know, So there's just a, a small variation, not much. But the point is, they keep widening and broadening the way of truth. And so... If Daniel said that they would run to and fro, and that's not in a good sense. They're running to and fro, sensationalism, uh, heresy, fallacy. You know, not everybody that says they're a Christian, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And nowadays, you have people in Hollywood, Nashville, they say they're Christians, they love the Lord, but same-sex marriage is all right. Sodomy's all right. Why? Because you have a right to love whoever you will. Well, then I tell them, go back to creation. He made them male and female. And right now, the Methodist denomination is going to be meeting in their general conference or assembly this year, and it's one church for all. That's the theme. That's the motif. And it's about same-sex marriage. It's about gay weddings. It's about lesbianism. It's about homosexuality. Wesley would turn over in his grave today yeah. if he could see what's happened to the Methodist church. You know, and I want a revival. Don't misunderstand me. I want a revival. I want a move of God more than anyone. But the way this nation is going, the only way that's going to happen is with calamitous events taking place in the earth. Isaiah 26, 8, and 9. When his judgments are in the earth, then will men learn righteousness or learn to do the right thing. And so with Cuomo and all these other states forcing abortion, after even the child has been born and just keep it comfortable. I don't know if they're filling them full of morphine or what they're doing. But that is infanticide. You, you, can't, you can't have it any other way. And, and look at the brutality of that. And this is supposed to be a modernized generation that has compassionate understanding and all about health care and everybody being protected. It's murder. It is murder. And that is so interesting that you just framed it in that way. That's so astute that in a day where there's all this tolerance, everybody just accept everybody else. These liberals always push for this acceptance, you know, protection of rights. We want to protect against bullying. And yet that's okay. You can just slaughter babies. For a good example of this is Hillary Clinton's tweet earlier today. It says, an excellent Q&A with Dr. Lena Wen of Planned Parenthood teaching on the crisis of rising maternal mortality rates in America and why the fight to save reproductive choice is more pressing than ever. Reproductive choice? Really? All this doublespeak, this newspeak, these twisting the things. I mean, even evangelicals were praising Hillary for this. Yay, reproductive choice. You know, speaking of delusional Christians, I mean, even you and I, years ago, we did a very controversial show a few years ago, the pre-trib versus post-trib debate. And yes, it's not a salvation issue, but why that is an issue for me is because a lot of these Christians think, you know what? Nothing to see here. We're out of here on the next rapture airlines and who cares what's going on it almost makes them negate their will to fight because you know what never mind all this mess back here you know and i've always wondered you know when you read in the king james that verse there in matthew 24 22 and except those days should be shortened there should no flesh be saved but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened how are the elect going to even be around if everybody's a raptured out of here pastor well, what they're going to try to do is flip that switch there and say, well, the elect 
is Israel. Uh, but see, Peter said this in Second uh, Peter one ten. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. So when you understand Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, and, the, and us being grafted in, we're grafted in, and we're part of that. So whatever happens to the tree happens to the graft. Whatever happens to the graft happens to the tree. And, and so there's a spiritual application here of taking both Jews and Gentiles, Ephesians 3.15, and making one new man. And we see that in New Jerusalem. You have the 12 foundations. And those are the 12 names of the tribes of Israel. And then on the 12 gates of Pearl, you have the 12 apostles. So he's taken the foundation of the Old Testament tribes of Israel and the gates, made them one in New Jerusalem. And that's how he reconciles everything into the oneness of his body. There's only one body of Christ. There's not two or three bodies. I was just off on the phone with someone a while ago. Denominations have divided us terribly. Nowhere in the scriptures do you see denominations. You do see the church, and God added to the church daily as such as should be saved. So when somebody gets born again, they are spiritually, you don't see it, you don't get a certificate to authenticate it, but they are spiritually baptized into his body. This is why in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2, Paul uses the plurality of the word baptisms, because there are many baptisms. There's the baptism in water. There's the baptism into the body of Christ. There's the baptism into the Holy Ghost. And so he says there in Hebrews 6, 2, of the doctrine of baptisms. So there's a doctrine, but there are multiple baptisms. And so we have to understand those correctly, and which most people don't even know anything about that kind of stuff, because they're, they're never taught anything biblically that is sound doctrine, sound doctrine again. And so Paul says, of the doctrine of baptisms, and so we're baptized into the body of Christ, we're baptized in the Holy Ghost, we're baptized in water, and baptized in, into the gifts of the Spirit. There's just so much, and regretfully, the church is weak, the church is anemic. You've got preachers who think they're preachers, and they're no more than car salesmen. And they're selling garbage, they're selling trash, they're selling junk, and regretfully, people are buying it, lock, stock, and barrel. You know, Jesus told us exactly when he was coming. He didn't pull no punches, Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Then shall appear the sign of the coming of the Son of Man. And, of course, I know everyone will run back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall be raised first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, cover you one another with these words. That's great. That's beautiful. But nowhere does that verse talk about the time of that event. It's the protocol of the event, but it has nothing to do with timing. The timing is found in Matthew 24, after the tribulation. And then, of course, Hebrews 9 and 28 says, Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time. Well, is that a pre-tribulation second coming? Or is that a second advent second coming? There's no delineation. There's no differentiation. It's the same. But heresy, fallacy has brought all of us to this place of saying, well, is there really three comings of Christ once? as a baby, and then another time he comes in the air, in the clouds, but he doesn't come to the earth, and then the third time he comes, he comes back to the earth. Well, Jesus in Matthew 24, he took care of that. He took care of that ideology when he said in Matthew 24 and verse 26, Wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in a secret chamber, believe it not. In other words, if there's a secret rapture, he said, don't believe it, don't believe it. And here's the key. If, if everybody would be honest, you've got to be honest. Find out how many resurrections there are in the Bible. There's only two. 
Jesus preached to, he taught to, John 5, 28, 29, he said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, of which all, all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. They that have done good under the resurrection of life, they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. That's only two. Then Revelation 20 and verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. Why? Because if you're in the first resurrection, the second death will have no power over you. But the second death is simply the resurrecting of the wicked dead. That's the second resurrection. That's the resurrection of the wicked dead. They'll be raised from the dead. They'll stand before God at the great white throne judgment. He'll go through the book. This is Revelation chapter 20. He'll go through the book. Their names will not be there. And then he will turn around and sentence them back to death again. That is the second death. It's there in the scripture. It's, it's Revelation 20, verses uh, 10 through 15. And so this is why Jude, in Jude verse 12, says, Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. What does it mean to be twice dead? Now, this is talking about backsliders. This is about people who became alive in Christ, redeemed, washed in the precious blood. They backslide. They depart from the faith. They give heed to seducing spirits and doctors of devils. They die a second death spiritually. So they were once dead. They were made alive. They came alive in Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection, and his shed blood. But then they go back. So they go back to their sins. And so having done that, they are twice dead, and then they'll be plucked up by the roots. And, of course, when something is dead, it is easily plucked up by its roots because it has none, because it has died. Go try to pull up a tree that's dead. Watch how easy you can pull it up. Let's say a three-foot seedling. But take that same tree uh, that's three-foot, but it got roots. It, it's hard almost to get the thing out of the ground. Why? Because it has life. And so we're, we're watching all of these. Are, these are the deceptions of the age. This is why this conference is called the Age of Deception. We're in that age of deception, that time frame of deception, when deception is so off the charts. It is hard anymore to discern the truth because uh, it's sad to say, but our politicians, our leaders, uh, you take the Pope, his intermingling with the Islam, this is deception. This is not right. We are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I don't believe like Islam. I don't believe like Catholicism. I believe in what Jesus said, and he said, I am the only way. I'm the only truth. I'm the only life. You cannot get to the Father unless you come by me. And they'll all say, well, we're all going to heaven. We're just getting there through different routes. That's just not true. Well, and you mentioned deception there. I, I was thinking about that scripture in Second Corinthians eleven three. But I'm afraid that just as you've deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotions to Christ. What did the Apostle Paul say? Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you lie to the Holy Spirit? The deception is so thick and it is so incredibly ubiquitous. Satan comes to, to kill, steal, and destroy. Pastor, if I said to you today, oh my goodness, terrible news, Somebody kidnapped your daughter, then they destroyed her, then they killed her. Every person that's listening right now, if I told you that about your child, you would be mortified. They stole from your child, then they destroyed your child, then they killed your child. Guess what, folks? What is Satan's MO? Kill, steal, 
and destroy. But I think we hear it so much that it's like, yeah, nothing to see here. Newsflash, Satan has nothing but gall contempt for you. Folks, to fight an enemy, you've got to know your enemy. That's the, that's the same definition I gave a gentleman on the phone today. You, you said everything I said to him. I said, when you see the enemy, when you see subtlety, when you see delusion, when you see deception, no, it's to kill, steal, and destroy. Those are the very three things that should pop up in your mind when you see evil. This is out to destroy me. You know, I was doing a program a few weeks ago, and I, and I made a statement. You know, a lot of times we hear things and it, it, we just, you know, hear it and go on, but we don't think anything much about it. But I made this statement. Sometimes it is impossible for men to avoid ruin and destruction, although they see it before it happens. They're walking down the road. They're tempted to commit adultery, rob a bank. And their mind says, if you do this, this is the consequences. Although they see it beforehand, it's almost impossible for some to avoid it. They know just as surely as there's a God in heaven, I shouldn't be going here, I shouldn't be doing this, but they go on anyway. And so they see their ruin prematurely. They, it's, it's like a vision. They see it. But because of the power of the attraction of sin and their unwillingness to crucify and mortify the flesh, the deeds of the body, they go on and do it. And then when they find themselves in a place of utter ruin, they say, God, why did you let this happen? David, before he sinned with Bathsheba, the Holy Spirit said to him a dozen times, Son, get off the roof. And quit looking. Yeah. But he, he, he wouldn't resist that. And so he, he, he made two statements. In Psalms 119, verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Then verse 71, Psalms 119, 71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. So before he was afflicted, he went astray. So before he had all this peril and trouble and danger in his life, he went astray. But once he went astray, the afflictions, the anomalies, they compounded profusely. And he said, now it's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. So he never saw, the devil will never show you your ruin and your demise. He'll show you the pomp. He'll show you the flattery. He'll show you the glory. He'll give you the accolades. But he won't show you the ruin. And so David understood. Had David looked at his situation and listen to the Holy Spirit, he would have first of all never committed adultery. He would have not had Bathsheba's husband Uriah murdered. He, and on top of that, he got Uriah drunk. Then he went and put Joab, got Joab involved in his murderous events. Then, because he didn't repent, Nathan says, the sword will never leave your house. Amnon uh, rapes Tamar. Adonijah dies at the altar in the temple. His other son led a rebellion against him, Absalom. Now, if David could have seen all of that before his fall, do you think he would have went ahead and, and done what he did? No. But see, the devil blinded him to the reality of sin and the consequences. So again, the very fact that the Holy Spirit said, don't go there, don't do that, it was almost impossible for him to avoid his ruin, although he saw it beforehand. Now, of course, the devil never wants you to see the tumultuous, tempestuous mess that you've gotten your life into. Because this is when people can become you know, hopeless, then they, then they become helpless, and they just you know, well, I quit. Well, this is, this is why he does all of this. And he strings men and women along to a place where he gets them, where now he says, I can finish you all. Kill, steal, destroy. And then what he does, you're left on the trash heap pile of, 
of garbage. You're just wasting. There you are over on the, the, the trash heap. He walks off and leaves you. But God in his mercy will look over there and say, if you will repent and turn back to me, I'll show you mercy. When the world and everybody's through with you, God is still long-suffering. But see, the devil will get people so down and so discouraged, so beleaguered, so depressed, they'll even come to a point and say, well, I'll just take my life now because I've ruined everything. But yet God still stands there with his hand stretched out saying, if you'll come back, if you'll come back, I can restore you. Now, you'll never have the, the preeminence that you may have had before, but that's the wages of sin. That's what sin pays. But in spite of that, God reconciled David and uh, allowed Solomon, his son, to, to sit on his throne because he made that covenant, and he couldn't break covenant. God does not break covenant. Men break covenant, but God does not break covenant. So whatever God has promised, those of you listening, God's going to do his part. The question is, are we doing our part in that covenant that God has made with us? You know what amazes me is how many scriptures start out with, do not be deceived, and then it gets into something. Do not be deceived. Let no man deceive you. How many scriptures start with this? Deception ultimately is is lies. And back to what we were saying before, who's the father of lies? What was Satan? A murderer from the beginning, and he has nothing to do with the truth, John eight forty four says. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It is very hard to be deceived when you're in your word. The word itself is a discerner. Well, that's the power of the word. You're not going to become deceived if you do two things in your life. If you pray on a consistent, regular basis and you read your word, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The question was once posed to a theologian. What's the most important in a Christian's life, prayer or Bible reading? And the theologian responded, what's the most important to a bird, his left wing or his right wing? What's the most important? They're both equally significant. And they're both significant in our lives, living lives of victory. If we don't do the right thing, we will fall into that snare. We will fall into that trap. And I've said this for years. I may have read this from E.M. Bounds. Wherever prayer is focused, that's where the power of God is going to fall. If you quit praying, you'll start sinning. If you keep praying, you'll stop sinning. You can't live in both worlds. One eventually will overtake the other. This is why prayer is so important. And people who pray are literally refilling, refueling their fuel tank. People who don't pray, once the tank gets empty and they don't go back to prayer, well, you're not running anymore. Uh, Galatians 5, 6, and 7, Paul said, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you to obey not the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him who calleth you. In other words, who's persuading you now not to run? Is it God? Well, it can't be the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you to run with patience the race that is set before you. It's the devil that wants us to quit running the race. So Paul said, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion, this coercion cometh not of him who's calling you. And so this is why we have to turn and keep walking toward the sun, S-O-N, keep walking toward the sun. If, you, if people will do that, they will certainly obtain a whole lot more victory in their lives. And this is why, this is so sad, Sheila, but you know it to be a fact. This is why people have such tempestuous, tumultual lives. God is not the, the focal point. God's not the center point. When you incorporate God in your life, he creates unfathomable stability. This is why we talk about he's the cornerstone, he's the rock. David said, lead me to the rock that's higher than I in Psalm 62. Why? The rock does not move. The rock is a cleft. It is a hiding place. It is a refuge. It is a pavilion. You've got to get in that rock and stay there. But, you know, 
It's like a bear and her cubs. They'll find a, a hollow place in, in the rocks, a den, lion, leopards, bears, cubs. It's a place of refuge. And if you stay there, God will take care of you. But you get out. You get out in the open or get out of the pasture of God. David said, he leadeth me beside still waters. He leadeth me into green pastures. If you get out of that, this is where the devil has got snares and traps set all over the place. And he doesn't care which one works. All he cares about is making sure he gets us and snares us and destroys us. And then he laughs at us. Don't think he has remorse. Oh, no, he's laughing at us. He's mocking us. He's ridiculing us. Look what they did to Jesus. That was all the devil mocking Christ, making fun of Christ, spitting on Christ, bruising his face, hitting him with the rod. That's the devil. That's the devil and his minions. That's what the devil does to us. And you look at our nation here in America. Who are they castigating the most right now? One man, Donald J. Trump. Why? He's just simply trying to do the right thing. And look at the castigation. It is, there's no limit on to what these people will do. And so God's making it plain in front of simple people. This one's evil. This one's good. Look at it. Now you decide. And if you can't look at the facts and have the spirit of truth in your heart, then the devil's already got you. Right. And one of the things that I think why this incredible event that is coming up in April, why something like this is so important, because you know what, folks, I hate to say it, conferences, they're they're a dime a dozen. If you do not have the manifest presence and power of the Holy Ghost that shows up like a hammer, what really is the point? We don't need a bunch of more information. We need transformation. We're in some really dark times, and we're going into some darker times. We need to have a powerful encounter, life-changing encounter with the Holy Spirit. There's such a need right now. I read the emails from Christians who are hungry to be touched by the very presence of God. And it's not about packing something out with speakers or packing out an agenda. It's about being open to the move of the Holy Ghost. And that's why I'm so honored to be a part of this too, because a Holy Ghost encounter, I wouldn't let nothing stop me from getting to it, Pastor. Well, that's my desire. I challenge everyone listening to your program, all of those who you listen to, whether it's radio or television and ministry, write down the times they make an appeal for salvation and lost souls. I'm telling you, it is a lost calling today to reach the lost. Nobody, hardly anybody ever at the close of their program makes a sincere appeal for a lost. I had one lady email me the other day. She's coming from Virginia. She has three children. She said, I've got a 22-year-old son coming. I want him to get saved. I said, no, I thought to myself, that's a mother's genuine bona fide love. She's not bringing him to be entertained. She's not bringing him to aggregate, collect information. She wants him to have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. I told Steve Quill the other night, I said, I don't care whether I get to preach Sunday morning or not. It would suit me just fine as the worship team begins to lead us into spirit-filled worship that the Holy Ghost would fall and move, move powerfully across that congregation. And people just come to the altar repenting, pleading, reaching out to God and God reaching out to them. Because God's going to seek those who seek him. That's why it's called an encounter. It's not by chance. It's not by happenstance. He seeks those who worship him. He knows every heart. He knows every mind. He's going to reach out and he's going to reach out to those who are reaching out. If you're in the ocean, you fell off a boat, you cry out, you reach out, throw me a life raft, throw me something to save me. You're seeking that person. The person who responds to you reciprocates. They're seeking you in return, and they're helping you. 
I don't know what all God's going to do, but I was thinking about, wouldn't it be great for revival to break out on the East Coast and begin to burn? Azuzu Street in California had theirs around 1900, 1908. God, bring it to the East Coast this time. Let it start on this side and let it burn across America. I'm looking for something special. I'm looking for the Holy Ghost to move, to prod, and to probe men's hearts. I'm looking for people to be set free. I'm looking for people to be healed. I'm looking for God to just show up. You know, uh, Luke 5.17 says, And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. If we can get into God's presence, just in His presence, Something will happen to all of us. Psalm sixteen eleven. In thy presence is fullness of joy. After David's sin, Psalms fifty one eleven. He said, "Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy holy spirit from me." It wasn't save my kingdom, save my kingship, my lordship. No, no. Just don't cast me away from your presence. And so this is what we all need. And as I said. I don't have to minister. I've been in this thing for almost 40 years now, and I've the Holy Ghost has taken over so many of my services before I would start to preach. And, and I get through, and I'm like, oh, thank you, God, for intervening and getting me out of the way and you ministering to the people according to their needs. Because, you know, men can miss it. We're all human. But the simplistic thing is just to yield to God. Give him the right of way. Let him have control. Let him, because he can do in one service what men could never accomplish in a dozen lifetimes. And that's what I'm wanting. And that's why everybody, just a couple guys, are, are, are ministers. You know, the Hagmans are going to be there. You'll be there. And Steve and Hugo DeGarris, Russ Disdar and Deliverance, whatever the case might be. God just show up. And I know he's going to. There's no doubt in my mind. Because I'm putting him first. If he said, if I seek him first, he'll add all these things to us. I'm putting him first. I don't have to be seen. I don't have to be heard. But if he can be heard, if he can be seen, and if he can be felt, people will leave different. Yeah, well, Pastor, I it really does grieve my spirit. The really low numbers that get out to an event like this, you know, they'll pack out a place to go see Tony Robbins or, or some mindless idiot. Ooh, a night with Joel Osteen. I see that was packed out here. And then, of course, don't get me started on the sports events. I mean, look at Super Bowl. They'll pack out sports events. They'll pack out the UFC fights. They'll pack out anything. But a life-changing, powerful move of the Holy Spirit? I don't understand why that doesn't draw huge crowds. Why is that not a priority? That's just plain sad. I'll tell you why it's sad. And I know this to be factual. I'm a minister. It's a fact. My preaching, my deliverance, and the Word of God bothers people. There are those who love me, embrace me, that are devout Christians, and there are those who loathe me, despise me, willfully stay away from me because they don't like the Word that comes out of my mouth, or the Spirit, or the power, or the conviction. So they they remain at arm's length. We need to remember something. Jesus said, few there be that find it. In other words, if you send out 100 people to find the costly pearl, only two or three are going to come back and say, I found it. Because they'd rather have that godliness or that anointing. When when they broke the alabaster box in uh, John chapter 12, and that odor, it said it filled all the house. That was a type of the Holy Spirit. If you were in that house, you could feel that or you could smell that aroma, a type of the Holy Spirit. And Judas Iscariot says, why in God's name did we do that? We could have sold that for 300 pence and given to the poor. Jesus said, the poor you have with me always, with you always, but me, you don't have always. So 
he was looking at it like a lot of charlatan preachers. Hey, this, that was good money wasted, but it wasn't. But that's how some people see it. So I'd rather have the costly anointing, and that's why it costs you something. You can, you can go to all the seminars you want. I'm not throwing off on anybody's conference or whatever they're having, but my emphasis is on the touch of God. God bless you because you know about giants and angels and modifying genes and DNA. Great. Great. How's that going to help you getting into the kingdom of God? How's that going to help you to be disciplined? How's that going to help you to be discipled? Because you have knowledge. The Bible said ever learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Always learning, always learning, always learning. But they never come to that state and place where this is about Jesus and nothing else. He had two thieves on the cross. One was spiritually minded, one was carnally minded. The spiritually minded one saw a king with a kingdom. He said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. The other thief was looking for a king that was carnal, that was powerful, and that was fleshly. He said, if you're the son of God, save yourself and save us. Two totally different mindsets, but the same nature because they were both thieves. But you see, that was one who saw God for who he was. The one thief said, what we're receiving is just. We're, we're, we're criminals. We're thieves. This man has done nothing. He knew about Jesus. He just never bothered to accept Christ till he got on the cross with him, and then he accepted him. But he, he still made it. But the other one was calloused. He was hard-hearted. He was cynical. He was arrogant. You could tell he was like his father, the devil. Save yourself. Is that not what the devil said to Jesus? Jump off this building and call the angels down to deliver you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You got two spirits there, and one was of his father, the devil, and the other one sought after Christ. You know, and I'm, a, I'm a minister, okay, but I'm also a Christian, and I know the need as a man, just as a man, a father, a husband, I know the need for David Langford to be touched by the presence of God. I know the need for that, and that's why that's most important to me is my, my walk with God, my fellowship with God, my relationship with God. My knowledge, the things I know, or, or the scriptures I can quote, that's irrelevant in that context. What's important is that I know that I'm washed in the blood, I am sealed by the Spirit of God, and I'm doing the Father's will. How many people can say, I know I'm in the will of God? I get so many letters, emails, I don't know God's will for my life. That's not God's responsibility, nor is it God's fault. It's our fault. You see, Tommy Tenney wrote one of those powerful books. I read it years ago, God Chasers. Mm, yeah. Remember that? Oh, yeah. One of the most powerful books I ever read. And so are we chasing God or are we chasing things? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And everybody's got their eye fixed on worldliness, a bigger house, more cars, more planes, more trains, more boats, more, more, more. And, you know, I've done scores and scores of funerals. You don't take any of this stuff with you. You pass it on to some other greedy person, and they get it. And then when they die, if they haven't spent it, wasted it all away, they die, they pass it on to somebody else. So we're just stewards of our time, our talents, our gifts. We're just a steward of what God has given us. And to whom much is given, much is required. So I'd hate to be in some of these mega pastor shoes 
at Judgment Day, knowing I have that kind of influence, and I wanted to open up my Sunday morning worship service with a joke every Sunday. That's not preparing for the presence of God. I had a lady wrote me, it's been about two years ago, uh, she went to a Presbyterian church, it's either in Oklahoma or Kansas. The pastor was a woman, and she had went to, to Scotland that summer uh, on her Scottish vacation. She came back, and she brought a half a gallon of Scottish liquor. She put it in the vestibule with small cups, invited everyone to have a drink of Scottish liquor before they came into the sanctuary. And when they came into the sanctuary, she showed her video of her vacation. Is that conducive to seeking the presence of God, putting a half a gallon of liquor bottle out there and so everybody start drinking? But this is a nonsense. It's in church. And nobody says a word about it. And of course, the lady told me, she said, I'll never go back there. I don't blame her. Why go? Because that's feeding the flesh, not the spirit. I've been saying this for the last two years. God only appeals to your spirit. The devil only appeals to your flesh. So you are to recognize it so quickly. Is this God or is this the devil? If it's to my spirit, it's God. If it's to my flesh, it's the devil. It's no doubt. When the devil tempted Jesus, he never said one thing about his spirit. It was turning the bread into stone. That was his flesh. Showed him the kingdoms of the world. That was the lust of the eyes. And uh, to jump off the temple and, and have the angels catch him, that's the pride of life, a vain display of power. Not once did the devil ever appeal to Christ's spirit. He appealed to Christ's humanity. That's all he appealed to. And so when the devil's talking to you, you can rest assuredly, this is about me and my flesh. When God is talking to you, it's about you and your spirit and where you stand in relationship to him. Well, people are always telling me they want to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Well, get out to this, folks. It's going to be a very powerful move of God. Very, very, very powerful. And I want to encourage you, get your ticket right now and come with expectation that you're not going to leave the same. This isn't about packing a bunch of numbers out because you know what? Listen, God didn't need 30,000 fools to do what he needed. He just needs 300. Well, as in the case of Gideon, Pastor. 80% of them left. That's right. See, he said, Terry, they started out at 500, and it dropped down to 120. So 380 of those that were there on Bethany heard his words, Luke 24, 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And 380 people left. The mega church said, we're out of here. The faithful ones said, no, we're, we're here for the long haul. Pentecost, the Spirit of God, came like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house, see, and it filled, it filled their lives. And those were the ones, watch this, those were the ones that turned the world upside down. It wasn't the 380 that left. No, no, no. They, they didn't get it, see. And it shows you when he says again, Few there be that find it. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be that small nucleus, that remnant, and uh, that's waning and diminishing. Because, you know, the problem is everybody wants to be liked. Mm -hmm. I know everybody's not going to like me. If they did, I'd be the friends of the world. But to be the friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. Yeah. That, I didn't say that. The Scripture says that. And so that's why I know people don't, some of them don't like me. That doesn't bother me. People need to expect, that's a good sign. 
that's a, that's a great sign. I remember 1986, 87, I went on a local TV uh, radio station in Charlotte. They came to me, saw a commercial spot I had made on the, the cable network television, and said, we'd like to put you on, on radio. And uh, so I, I went around and met with them. John Hamilton was the station manager. We talked, and they set up. They had a pastor studio where you come out, oh, real to real day. You put all this on a reel. You identify and say, this is the voice of evangelism for March the 1st. 1986 Tuesday, and he'd put that reel on there, and he'd cue it up, know that he had the right program for that day. So after about two years, they did a national and local survey. Some of the questions were, if you could keep anybody on here, who would you like to keep? If you could throw anybody off this radio station, who would you like to throw off? And John called me one day and said, can we go have lunch? I said, sure. So we went to have lunch, and he said, we did our survey. He said, you know, David, he said, you were either liked greatly or you were hated greatly. Wow. He said, you were the most divisive speaker on the radio, especially locally, you were the only one. And I looked at him, I said, John, how did they treat Jesus? I said, they either loved him or they hated him. There was no middle ground. It's black and white. But see, we've become so gray, we look like a zoo. Everything's in it. There's sheep, there's goats, there's turtles, there's raccoons, there's skunks. That's what's in the church today. But the Bible only portrays a goat or a sheep. And isn't it funny? And maybe I shouldn't use the word funny. The sheep go to which hand? The right hand. Where do the goats go? They go to the left hand. Uh-huh. Well, if you're considered right hand, you're a conservative. If you're left, you're a liberal. And look at that dichotomy. Who did that? God did. I didn't do that. That really shows you where they're going, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, and it's becoming plain. And just like today, they got the guy up there, Whitaker, from the Justice Department, a Department of Justice. Isn't that, isn't that a unique term? Department of Justice. <laughs> and what it ends up being is a Department of Injustice. I was praying one day for justice. And I, I was right here in the office on my knees praying, and the Spirit prompted my heart and said, you have a department up there called the Department of Justice, and it's nothing really but a department of injustice. So that's how the land is now. It's so much injustice. If you're a godly man, a godly woman, and you walk the walk and you talk the talk, you're persecuted. They, they do things to hurt you willfully. So thank God if you're living right, when he separates the sheep and the goat nations, he's going to separate them, Matthew chapter 25, and the goat, They go into the left hand, eternal destruction, damnation from the eternal presence of God, and the sheep, they inherit the kingdom of God and eternal life. And again, whose side are you going to be on, the devil's side or God's side? Moses was on the Lord's side. The other followers were on Korah's side. And whose side was Korah on? He was on the devil's side. He said, you're not the only one that God talks to, pal. God speaks to us, too. Led the rebellion. 3,000 souls went to hell alive. I had a, I had a young guy when I was pastoring in Charlotte. You remember Mark Gastineau? His defensive end for the New York Jets. Very flamboyant. This is back in the 80s. His first cousin started coming to my church. And my church ran around 300. And the church they were going, well, they hadn't gone to this new church yet, but they, were, they finally left my church. But one day I was standing in the lobby shaking everybody's hand Sunday morning as they were leaving. And uh, I looked at him and his, his girlfriend. That they, they must have thought they had me deceived. I said, when, when are you getting married? And, boy, this white, ashen look came over their faces. Uh, 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 well, we're, we're, we're talking about it. Guess what? They never came back to my church. So I called and left a message on their answering machine. I was in Cleveland, Tennessee when they called. My wife spoke to the guy and he said well we have found another church and we're going to start going over there so i never heard from them again but what i realized was they went to a mega church it runs six thousand on sunday morning well if you're running six thousand on sunday morning it's hard to stand in the lobby and shake everybody's hand when they're leaving if you're running 300 i can do that they can go sit in a mega church living in adultery or fornicating and living that lifestyle and think it's concealed and nobody knows because they never get to shake the pastor's hand 
but it's different. It's a smaller church, and Christ is the shepherd, and a shepherd wants to know his sheep. And as a true shepherd, a man of God, as a pastor, you want to know your sheep. You want to know where they are. If they're not there, you call them. We missed you Sunday. Trying to keep them in, not letting them be lost. But when you get to be a mega church, you don't care about that. You never miss them. Because it's, it's, it's like a football stadium. you got a different crowd every week, fundamentally. And that's the way church is. And it's like a nightclub. There's always the hot club in the city. Everybody wants to go, like, 54 in New York. Everybody wants to be there. And that'll eventually burn out, and then another club arises, and that's where everybody wants to go. And that's how mega churches are. They have their zenith, and they wane, they go back down, but then another one pops up. And you see the same thing in preachers. You'll see a guy that nobody's ever heard of, and he's a blaze of glory. All of a sudden, you're like, well, where'd this guy come from? But again, he's always preaching and appealing to their carnality. He's not preaching to get their soul, to get them washed in the blood, to get them in an altar of repentance. He's preaching to make them feel good. It's sad, but that's where we are today. And uh, Christ said, few there be that find it. So this is why we're putting on the conference. More than anything, it's about people to have an encounter with God. The brethren that will be there will be ministering to everyone. I don't know what all God's going to do, but I'm anticipating a deluge, a fresh a flood of the Holy Spirit to show up and touch the hearts and lives of many people. Amen. Wonderful. Well, Pastor Langford, in the waning part of the program, please do, before I get you to pray, give out the website and how folks can get their tickets locked in right now, please, sir. Okay, it's just thevoiceofevangelism.com, www.thevoiceofevangelism.com. We've got most of everything up there posted, the motels. They're all walking distance, and when I say walking distance, I'm talking two or 300 yards. That's the great thing. There are plenty of restaurants. You have I-26, I-40, I-77, I-85 for people to drive in. That's why we chose you can actually throw a rock from the parking lot of the convention center and hit Interstate 40. It's right off the interstate. So we did that so people could drive and not have to worry about flying in planes, going to the airport. There is a good airport, Charlotte Douglas Airport. is about 50 minutes to an hour from this meeting. There will be people flying in there. And, of course, we just want to, we want to have a wonderful time in the Lord. That's what it's all about. Love to meet the people, shake their hands, hug their necks, and more than anything, pour oil and wine into their vessels that they can leave touched by the power of God. You know, one touch of God, Sheila, can last you for months if you can get that touch. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Sheila, first of all, tonight, her program, her listeners, and her willingness to bring me on to share the gospel of Christ. Father, you know there is such evil in the earth right now. It is an evil time, just like it was in Genesis chapter 6, and man's heart is on wickedness continually. But Father, I pray in the name of Jesus and by the manifest power of the Holy Ghost that you would touch the hearts of every listener. Your eye is upon every one of them. Holy Ghost, I pray that you would touch them. I pray that the love of God would permeate their hearts. And God, they would come to a reality that knowing you, serving you, loving you is more important than gaining the things of this world and the riches therein. I pray for every marriage. I pray for every husband, every wife, every son, every daughter. Father, I ask you to bless Sheila's programming, a 
anoint her with fresh oil to speak the truth, and that the truth, which is the word of God, would never return void, but accomplish that which will please you, and prosper in the thing whereinto that you send it. Help Sheila to win souls for the kingdom of God. For he that winneth souls is wise. We want to be wise. We want to understand and know the signs of the times, and know what we ought to do as we approach the near return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'll grace this conference with your presence, that your anointing would break chains and shackles and fetters. You'll set people free from things that hold them hostage. Lord, you'll break every chain in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We humbly pray. Amen. Amen. Powerful show, powerful prayer, and this is going to be a powerful event. Pastor Langford, thank you so much, sir, for taking the time out of your busy schedule today to come on the program. We'll see you soon. Oh, it's my joy. Thank you for having me. I look forward to seeing you here in just a few weeks. Folks, that was Pastor David Langford. Go over there to thevoiceofevangelism.com. And if you're looking at your screen right now, the banner for the conference is up there. It is also linked there on the podcast as well, thevoiceofevangelism.com. Get your ticket today, and we will see you out there in Hickory, North Carolina. Everywhere we turn, there's deception. And to help you better identify this deception, David Langford and the Voice of Evangelism has assembled a stellar lineup of speakers for their Age of Deception conference coming to the Hickory Metro Convention Center April 4th through 7th. Join David Langford along with world-renowned researcher and author Steve Quayle, Douglas and Joe Hagman of the Hagman and Hagman Report, artificial intelligence expert Hugo DeGaris, Irving Baxter, host of the internationally syndicated biblical prophecy television program, End of the End. Along with Jimmy D. Smith and Russ Dizdar for the Age of Deception Conference, April 4th through 7th at the Hickory Metro Convention Center. You can make your reservations now online at thevoiceofevangelism.com. Registration fee is $100 per person. Find out more about the speakers and their speaking schedules at thevoiceofevangelism.com. And make your reservation now to attend the Age of Deception Conference coming to Hickory, North Carolina at the Hickory Metro Convention Center, April 4th through 7th.